0: Did you, uh, Tinky, here's a question for you. Um, what was the most disgusting you felt on Christmas Day? Because oh. <laughs> I can remember, there's a big bar in the curtains. This is one of my favourite Tinky stories of all time. We went to a wedding, our friend Ken's wedding, and, uh, and Tinky ate so much <laughs> that he had to go home. You know, like a fucking dog that not you? It was like you literally wouldn't stop eating until you burst. and you had to go. You left it about like five o'clock, didn't you?
1: Oh, it was awful. I just say, uh, Yeah, I had to leave. I just was so full. And actually I've been that full on Christmas Day before. But the good thing about Christmas Day is you can just lie down in the living room and, and just and just let it all kind of settle. But yeah, I mean that was pretty bad. So there've been a couple of times and actually I've got to a point now at Christmas, on Christmas Day when I have to say to to my wife, Don't let me eat more than what's put on my plate at the start because i've been like i'm so fucking full it's just stupid and i've had to lie on the floor because i've just been so fucking rough so yeah um i I do genuinely have to say that when we go to my parents it's not too much of a problem anywhere else but if we go to my parents then that becomes a real problem
0: i'm I'm in my safe zone i can disgrace myself and no one's gonna judge me
2: one year a uh, a family member who i won't name uh we were having christmas dinner and we're reasonably reserved normally but my dad had gone all out this year and it was fantastic and uh, one of my uh one of my family members went off to have a little mid-lunch shit <laughs> to clear some space <laughs> <laughs> and then came back and promptly finished a good old portion of food. And there was another year, another year where me and one of my sisters—it's the end—and I just remember like poking my stomach, and you know when you poke it, and it doesn't move because you're so full. I think I've had it about four times in my life where I've actually noticed. And we, <laughs> she was like, yeah, mine too. Oh, it's beautiful. I think that was one of those where I had to have a lie down like you, Tinky. not on the floor, but uh, I've had to go to bed after Christmas dinner before.
0: Last year, um, we were supposed to have Christmas up at my uh, mother-in-law's, but her oven broke on Christmas Eve. So I ended up cooking Christmas dinner down at ours. And my God, I got wankered i was doing it <laughs> i think it's out in the kitchen all day just it was the beers were going yeah just uh, drank far too much and by two in the afternoon it's such a hangover like this.
1: <laughs> hangover at two in the afternoon of the day you started drinking mm. that's impressive yeah. that is so impressive Merry Christmas and welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. It's the final episode of 2021 and we have a bumper episode for you today. Not only do we have our show to cover, but also the game, the latest update on the league table of shows, a few thank yous. And apparently Tom has also got something special for us for Christmas. Looking forward to that. Uh, joining me today is old man Sam Kerry, who, much like prolific Christmas song merchant Cliff Richard, has appeared to be about 85 years old for the last three decades, and yet never <laughs> seems to age. Old man, how are you?
2: I'm not bad, and you know what? I've been called worse than Cliff Richard. Not often, but it's happened before. I've eaten my uh, Venus styled Christmas Yule log, <laughs> and uh, i got to say, the, the massive shit I had this morning, it definitely comes more than once a year. <laughs> is that like...
1: Two feet long.
2: It's bloody big mate I'll tell you that much and obviously a uh, little callback to our previous episode he definitely doesn't disappoint in the old Christmas yule log steaks.
1: So he is living the gimmick that's good to, that's good to hear mm. and also we have Tom Smith who is enjoying another rock and roll Christmas almost as much as Gary Glitter although probably in a far more wholesome and legal manner.
0: Tom welcome to the show. Well it's not unusual or uncommon for you to compare old man to a uh, famous sexual predator as has happened many times on the show it's actually an au- a first for me so i don't know whether or not i should actually be mortally offended or actually quite chuffed i think you should
1: take it as a as a certain amount of uh, compliment there um and you almost went into a kind of another singer when you said it's not unusual but you didn't go there and i thought tom
0: jones was coming and it didn't do you know what? if you compare me to tom jones mate i'd be fucking elated and i'll <laughs> 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 it's not, you know, the tom jones throat clear it was also the rumour, wasn't it, that Tom Jones used to like quite regularly rip his trousers when he was in the real, real high notes, which yeah. I think is impressive because his stance was so powerful. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and, and there's, I think we've mentioned this on here before, but there's the infamous story about the Thunderball, uh, the bond theme song for Thunderball, where at the end of the song, his voice fades, and it's not apparently his voice fading, he apparently passes out. Because he holds the note for so long. I'll bet his bollocks exploded as well.
0: Sure, can you imagine Imagine how tanned they were?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you may have heard a little sip there of Old Man's Beer, and that is because we're very much living it up today because it is Christmas time. This episode comes out on Boxing Day. So, this is our Christmas episode as well as being the last of 2021. So, it's uh, pretty. So, I hope you all had a good day yesterday and you've had a good period so far. And, uh, of course, it goes on, really, for the next yeah. however many days. I mean, the 12 days of Christmas, I think, end on, what, the 5th, 6th, 7th of January? Something like that?
0: Wow. It's funny you should mention the, the uh, 12 days of Christmas. Because do, do you want my little Christmas biddy now?
1: Cool. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I mean, it's so, coming a bit earlier than I thought we would have it, but that sounds good.
2: <laughs> that, that, that? that is classic Tom.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Vintage. Um, So I'm not going to do the entire thing, because it would for go on forever, but I'm just going to go at like this. 12, Stone Cold Stunning. 11 Roddy's piping, 10 Lanny's leaping, 9 Rikishis dancing, 8 Angles milking, 7 Dunks are grinning 6 News a-daying, 5 Golden Stings, 4 Jim <laughs> Hurts, 3 Reaper Men, 2 Brother Loves, and a Judy Bagwell on a pole match. <laughs> oh,
2: beautiful. Well what done, lad.
0: Lovely stuff. Lovely,
1: I've
2: got anyways. You see, you, you don't get this stuff on other pods. Don't get it. Um, honestly... So I wrote that
0: about four weeks ago. <laughs> the, the hardest one, the hardest one is Seven Swans a swing, Swimming. Because the only thing I could think of was Rich Swan. And I was like, nah, I'm not having that. So that one, Seven Doinks Are Grinning, was uh, was added to by a friend of the show, uh, Berkey. Gave oh, go one.
2: on, Berkey. Nice. So he gets, he, gets a, he
0: gets a co-writer credit off that one.
1: Well, when we license it as well, it's going to be making
0: literally pennies. <laughs> Do you know what it was that made me think of it? It was nine Lannys leaping, a uh, ten Lannys leaping. I was like, oh, okay. And then I was like, hello, I've got something here.
2: Um, can we just put on record that obviously as a co-writer, Berkey will have to pay the initial production costs and the recording fees as well? Yeah,
1: obviously. and also the distribution costs, which are quite extensive when you consider we have to pay for the rights to actually host the podcast. And the yeah. first so, you know, he's uh, yeah, he's and- going to be out of pocket here, I think.
2: Yeah. And in fairness, let's be honest, lads, our mortgages ain't going to pay themselves, are they?
1: (laughs) Berkey, step up, mate. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get down to business today, just a little nod to our social media homes, which can be found on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at RWRPodUK. Also, if you have enjoyed our podcast over the year, tell someone about it. Either leave us a little review on your podcasting app of choice or just nudge your mates and tell them. Get and listen to the random wrestling review.
2: Perhaps what we could do is we could ask the listener to take a picture of their favourite Christmas present and tell all their friends on Twitter, Facebook or MySpace and tag us in it. And then your mates will go, who are these guys? they go, oh, it's this podcast I listened to once and I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> but you should listen.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, totally.
2: <laughs> you, 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 look, you look like a bit of a cunt. You'll You'll like these lads. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh. We're festive cunts today.
1: We certainly are festive cunts. And that reflects itself in the show that we are covering. <laughs> AWA's Christmas <laughs> Night 1984. Um, I'm gonna tell you what, there's this show absolutely
0: dripping with Christmas. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's called Christmas Night. What more do you want? Mm. You know, it's funny, actually, to take this on another tangent, as soon as it is the Christmas special after all. Again, I was listening to my 200 strong song Christmas playlist, as I mentioned last week.
2: Sorry, what's a song? Is yeah. that the same as the song? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a song
1: by Sean Connery. Yeah. Um, and uh, "Stay Another Day" by Seventeen came on, and obviously the oh. age old the age old debate about whether it's a Christmas song or not came up. And I said, okay, but how do you define what a Christmas song is? And my wife said, well, it's got to have to have it's got to have the word Christmas in it. And I was like, well, that doesn't fit a lot of different Christmas songs that people do think and are Christmas songs. So I don't know what the definition is. And the other thing is, I said that Stay Another Day, at the very least, does have some nice church bells at the end. So it does signify that there's some kind of Christmas stuff going on. Whereas, whereas, To Become One by the Spouse Girls hasn't even got that. And that gets included in these playlists well, these days.
0: Th- that was because it was Christmas number one. I mean, I personally So we Stay Another gonna... Day. Yeah, I know. N- by that sense, You Gets the Machine Killing in the Name of should also be considered a Christmas song. Well, it's it, it's in probably... my
1: playlist. <laughs>
0: um, is it? No. I thought you liked fucking Underneath the Tree by Kenny Clarkson. I expected expect better from you. Um, but I, I, think, I think it needs, doesn't, need to have, doesn't need to have the word Christmas in it. But I do think it needs to have something about Christmas or something seasonal or festive in it. So, for example, Let It Snow, I don't think has any, any reference to Christmas in it. But you listen to it and you're like, do you know what I mean? You could classify it as a wintry song if you wanted to. But I definitely think it's I definitely think it's a uh, a Christmas song. Whereas uh, Whereas Stay Another Day is not a Christmas song. It doesn't anything remotely Christmasy about it.
1: See, I don't agree on the pre- on the basis that a Christmas song is ultimately it's all about context. So effectively, whatever people come to listen to traditionally at Christmas becomes a Christmas song. And by that way, ultimately, Stay Another Day. Whilst it may not have originally been the intent, whilst it not May not have previously qualified now because popularly it is played at Christmas. Lots and lots and lots. It is now a Christmas song.
0: It's never
1: going to
2: be a Christmas song. I'll be honest, mate. Like if populism is the way we're going, there's a lot of, lot of dangerous things that have gone on in the world with populism. So we don't <laughs> want to go that we don't want to go down that route.
1: It's more Once about what becomes part of the public conscious as a Christmas song, and and even if it's going to do a Christmas, it's still a Christmas song in my view.
2: Is Mr Blobby on there? No. Come on, mate.
1: But people don't play that again and again and again these days at Christmas. Maybe you do, man. I don't know.
2: I was going to say, me and my family all day yesterday. From
1: the the
2: neighbors, the neighbors were livid. (laughs) No, my my parents' neighbors have got three kids, so we, we were they're young as well, so we were just opening their ears to the wonders of Mr. Blobby.
0: I thought you were going to give go, my uh, my parents' uh, neighbours, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Blobby. Oh,
2: so. <laughs> that would be lovely. I've mentioned it before, but it's Christmas, so I'll mention it again. That phase when Mr. Blobbies were going around ruining birthday parties was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, horrible, really, for the kids. Horrible for the kids, because they were getting like, those little cream pies in their face. Horrible stuff. But great stories well we
1: have we have thoroughly thoroughly uh, covered that particular topic so let yeah. me move on and say that this this show AW Christmas night before we get your you know expectations going in this show begins with a message that we probably should put at the start of every single one of our episodes as well <laughs> which is on the screen written presented in the most complete form possible due to original production technical difficulties. Now, I wonder how much that those technical difficulties factored in to our enjoyment of the show. But before we go there, let's talk about our expectations, starting with you, old man.
2: I was quite up for this, but I was concerned that there would be no commentary because we did have an episode previously that had, it was when I put it on and I saw the warning and that was the warning of the show that had no commentary, the mm. show with no voice. And I was a little bit like, well, oh, it might be a bit tough. It was AWA as well, our first AWA show. Yeah, I was all right with this. Excited we'll be pushing it, but Christmas, isn't it? Like, like Tommy said, we're expecting Christmas by the barrel full on this show.
1: Yeah, I'm expecting Santa Claus getting a Stone Cold Stunner <laughs> at the
0: end of it, all that
2: kind of stuff. Yes.
0: Tom, what was your expectations? Uh, so I, I wasn't really quite sure what my expectations. were. Right? I've never watched any awa wrestling before i've seen i've started watching a documentary about kind of the history of the awa and i've obviously seen footage um from documentaries you know about certain superstars who were in the awa and i've always thought it looked it looked kind of okay i was hoping to see some early kind of hogan and gene oakland and stuff like that but this is obviously after they've all kind of gone um to to the wwf so after i realized that i was a little bit disappointed but i have seen the wrestle rock rumble video Which I don't know if you boys have seen, but it's a song that they released, uh, the AWA released, coincided with um, the Wrestle Rock Rumble, which is one of their pay-per-views. And it is so camp and over-the-top and shit. And I was like, hello, this could be amazing if it's anything like that. I was expecting as well, if I'm being honest, Christmas Day, I was expecting Tinsel on the Ropes. Refs stress, dressed ref up by Santa or Santa <laughs> hats at the very least. I was expecting some Christmas fair at the very least, even if I didn't know what the wrestlers were going to be on the show or what the quality was going to be like.
1: Christmas trees sprouting from each of the ring posts—that mm. would have been lovely. That kind yes, of thing. Exactly. Yeah. So this, you're right. This was on Christmas Day. Christmas Day night. I mean, what? A, go imagine going to a wrestling show. Yeah. On Christmas Day. That's that's pretty incredible. I. Didn't know what to expect from this. AWA is one of the promotions from the early 80s that I haven't seen very much of. That's because the WWE Network doesn't have a huge amount of AWA stuff, and it's only recently put in sort of a handful of uh, arena shows. But they don't tend there's very few AWA episode, like episodes of their TV show, on the network. It's not got anywhere near as complete coverage as some of the other promotions from the time. So I wasn't really sure what to expect. The only thing I was aware of is that AWA probably even more so than nwa i i think from what i understand has an even more of a sports-based presentation so i was kind of expecting the wrestling to absolutely take center stage in terms of the presentation and the way things were but other than that i didn't know who was going to be on the show obviously didn't didn't have a clue who was going to be on it i i knew some of the wrestlers from the time but only through just having read about it and whatnot so no idea Exactly, what matches we were going to get on the show.
0: So, had you watched any AWA ever before this?
1: I'd watched maybe a handful of matches. So, there are some standalone matches on the WWE network from the eight, early 80s and the, the late 70s, but there's no complete shows. So, I've, or there hadn't been at one at the point I'd watched it. So, I hadn't watched a complete show by the AWA before. I had watched an occasional match. The, one of the matches I had seen, I think I, we t- t- spoke about it previously, was a handicap match. Whereas Bobby Heenan and someone I can't remember who that was now against Hulk Hogan, and Bobby Heenan is selling an absolute storm for Hogan. He's brilliant. He's so good at it. It's like seeing it's like seeing Kurt Henning, who we do see on this show later on. It's like yeah. seeing him. It's, it's similar sort of selling.
0: I've heard that was I've heard that um, in the past that Bobby Heenan was absolutely bomb machine back in the day.
1: Yeah, it's, it's Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy would be yeah. eating. <laughs> so, um, yes, let's, let's get into the show then. As I said, Christmas Day, it strikes me as an interesting day. I mean, what do we make of that? Do you think you could have ever go to a wrestling show on Christmas Day?
0: No, not a chance in hell. I'd like to no. think so, but there's no
2: way for any of my family would be up for that. I just wouldn't have any interest in it. I can't be honest. I, well, I suppose we're looking at it through the eyes of this time. Obviously, like if WWE or AEW or even some local promotion were putting on a show at Christmas Day, absolutely no chance. Whereas if it was 1984 and there was literally nothing else to do, to, did they have TVs back then? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, don't know. But like, like they didn't have they didn't have reruns of I don't know what, what's crap on telly well, at they, Christmas. They did, have
0: Miss, they did have Mrs Brown's Boys back in 1984, didn't
2: they? No, that's a great show. Yeah.
1: That's a reason to stay in, surely, if they didn't have Mrs. Brown's voice at the time.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> the thing is, is I, I wonder if this is a cultural thing as well, because I think of, of evening time in Christmas being quite a sedate affair in the UK. I may be wrong in that regard, and some people have, you know, if they've had families over all day, then it might be, they might have a nice tea or whatever. But it tends to be kind of, from my experience anyway, everyone's knackered, everyone's kind of full up, they've drunk quite a lot. And so they're either kind of, playing board games of some kind or if they've got any energy at all and if they've got if they haven't got that much energy it's pretty much just everyone sat around basically mm. resting off the food that they've eaten so i can't imagine going anywhere on christmas day night
0: no if the idea of it if someone said to me it could be like up, kendrick lamar is doing an intimate gig three doors away <laughs> you and 25 other people are invited well, I'd say no, because I think it'd probably be a bit uncomfortable. But um, even apart from that, I'd be like, no, no, thank you. I'm all right. I'm just going to sit here and watch Mrs. Brown's Boys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Look at that. Tom just picked Mrs. Brown's Boys over
2: Kendrick Lamar. We have yeah. it on tape as well. <laughs> tape. That's right. So this show was in Minnesota hmm. at the Civic Centre. I don't know what goes on in Minnesota. Lots of snow. Like, well, I suppose it, it is in the name. Minus Nota
0: That's right So let's go into the matches Shall we well, Can we get started By the fact that like, You get that, that branding Not branding That, that kind of um, Disclaimer at the beginning Saying about it being In its original footage But the, the visual of it Is basically just A wrestling ring In the middle of the screen Surrounded by Complete darkness And that Is your view For the entire show mm, We're yes. going to get then. That is the hard angle view And we shall not Deviate From that <laughs> whatsoever we will not have any close-ups we will not have any cameramen so this is what you're getting strap yourself in
1: yeah and I wonder whether that's because this was never intended to be televised I know they have a it's Rod Trongard who is the commentator for the Rod. show but it sounds it seems to me like the kind of thing where they they probably did expect to televise some of it but in kind of highlight form potentially mm. for their television show as opposed to this ever being kind of packaged and distributed in any way whether by by a television or via VHS or whatever. Cuz obviously this is the other thing I find intriguing about some of these shows is it was never meant to be rewatched. There's no consideration to the idea that it might be rewatched at some point. Certainly not what we're talking about now 36 years later, like it's not 37 years later even. It's not likely to be kind of rewatched. It's a bit different now. I think people do tend, WWE, for example, do tend to make their pay per views shows that they kind of imagine people will rewatch because they mm. sell the DVDs and they've got it on the network and all that stuff. But back then, I'm sure they weren't making, there was no consideration to that whatsoever. So I find that quite interesting in itself.
2: What I did enjoy through the whole show, really, is that these people aren't working to a camera. Mm. Their work into the crowd. I really, I enjoyed that aspect of it because these just because it's so different. Because every piece of wrestling that you watch that is televised, they'll manoeuvre themselves so that they can put a bloody chin lock on in front of the hard camera. So I the amount of chin locks I couldn't see on this show. <laughs> enjoyed it.
0: There was a pe- there was a period where I was really thinking to myself, "Oh my fucking god, like <laughs> I'm gonna die if I have to watch this for much longer." Because I was so sick of looking at the same shot, mm. and then I thought to myself, "You've approached this wrong. I should approach it as if I'm sat in the crowd, and that's my yes. view." Yes. Um, but I, I didn't. Cause by that point, I was so fed up I couldn't be bothered to think of that. But I thought to myself, "I should have done that earlier."
1: Well, we're trying not to go into too much detail on each of these matches, though. Uh, anyway, Tom, so don't worry, you'll be alright. This is our Christmas special. This is not meant to be too too in depth. Exactly. is We're for fun. We're having a bit of a laugh. So as I say, the opening ah. Billy Robinson against Steve Alsonowski. <laughs> they they do call Steve Alsonowski Steve O in t- times during the commentary, and I believe later in his career he is called Steve O. So we'll probably keep it to that because it's certainly it's difficult to pronounce. And he's up against legendary British wrestler Billy Robinson, one of the biggest British. <laughs> To ever wrestle you know internationally he was big in japan big in the awa at one point and the awa it should be mentioned in the late 70s and early 80s was arguably the biggest promotion in the united states um if not north america and there's some argument about that because cmml was a national promotion in mexico well it, it, it as early as the 70s so it was very very big at the time
0: did cmll have their Feliz navidad show do you think I, I hope so i hope so until they would have fucking done it properly they would have had, like, Lucha Santas and shit like that and, like, a team of elves. They would yeah. have done it properly.
1: No staying every day there,
0: either. Mm. <laughs> well, like, it, had just, it had just been that song for four hours during the entire show. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. <laughs> that for fucking hours it would have been amazing.
1: Yes, indeed. So what do we what do we make of this match? Tom, why don't we start with you? What did you make of
0: the opener? Oh, um, boring. Um, <laughs> I, I must admit, I, I started watching this and I was like, ooh. Mmm. Mmm okay i'm not sure about this i did think that i i noted then i did note that billy was from uh from manchester and that he's the british empire heavyweight champion that's the i it's like quite a, quite the title doesn't it mm-hmm. you don't get that anymore do you you didn't get, often get references to the empire probably for the best if i'm being honest but evidently yes. they didn't they didn't do that then the it was a bit weird because i didn't it took me a while before i realized who was on uh, who was at like the here on the baby face and then it came quite apparent that it was billy robinson and I don't know about you boys, but I looked at him and obviously you can't really tell from the distance. But I was like, fucking hell, that Billy guy looks old. He looks he looks proper old. Just with the way he walked around the ring. And one thing I noticed during this match, it's very kind of, again, very grapply. The crowd popped massively when Steve started working on Billy's knee. It's really weird. Like, you know, they were like... They were like yeah, they were all kind of there, like waiting, sitting on their hands, being like, "I fucking hope they okay, work the knee." like, I, I, I yes, he's it's, done it, fucking done
3: it, he's
0: gone for the knee. But overall, overall, I didn't, I, I, found this match quite dull, and I did think to myself, "Oh, I wonder if um, one the rest of the show is going to be like this." And there wasn't much in it. The, the pace never really picked up. It was quite slow. I found it quite plodding. And yeah, it, this this one wasn't wasn't my favourite, if I'm being honest.
1: So just to give you some context here, Billy Robinson was mid-40s. So not that really? old. Mm.
0: Not that old. But people looked
2: older back then though, didn't they? Certainly yeah. did. Oh Bill, it's a cracking neck breaker on Steve early on. And I was like, hello, here we fucking go. And then uh older old Billy get, like Tommy said, gets his leg worked over by Steve-O. And then uh old Billy, it's a little back breaker on Steve-O and sells his knee that he's hitting with. And I thought, that's lovely stuff. So this match and this will probably become a running theme. When they go on it, it's decent. But there's an enormous amount of walking around slowly, just kind of not really doing anything. They're just kind of walking around the rain, chilling out. There are an obscene amount of rope breaks in this match. Like, more rope breaks than I've had hot dinners, I reckon. And and I've had three hot dinners in the last two days because it's Christmas. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But I also uh, thoroughly appreciate it. And you mentioned the guy's name, the commentator. Can't remember it. But uh, he's great because he lays out that Billy Robinson's turned into a bit of a shit, to paraphrase. He's gone full heel and he's not very nice. I quite enjoyed it because of that, I think. I thought this was okay. you know. I like the defined heel, defined face and also the different styles as well. And I absolutely love the finish. I mean, the finish is fantastic. So older Billy Robinson... I think it's Steve-O does it. He gets up on the second rope in the turnbuckle, walks himself across the middle of the ring, goes to hit a big elbow from the second rope, misses, gets pinned for the three. <laughs> That's <laughs> an absolute crack. Of, and I thought <laughs> of Tommy the other week when he, was saying, he said, I think there's going to be some crack finishes. Yeah. And I was like, I that is a, a missed
0: elbow drop off the bottom rope of the middle rope to get pinned is the di- dictionary definition <laughs> of an underwhelming finish isn't
2: it not even close to kicking out either <laughs> i bet you in
1: 1984 this was quite the uh quite the impressive finish in fairness he, he also doesn't just jump off the turnbugger here he's actually sidled along the the yeah. rope a little bit yeah. so he's that just stood on the rope um and i think That brings me to an important point, which is I think we have to be fair to ourselves and say we are very much looking at this through 2021 eyes, a show that was done in 1984, which is not really very fair. And as I said, as I said before, we've discussed this many a time when we've talked about why do people like him or why why do people interested in him or why was he such a legend? Again, it's because there's a different measurement of what's good. In in this time, you know, when that when the audiences are still invested in the outcomes, as opposed to there being a lot more investment these days in the athletic ability or the quality of work that people do in the ring, it means that we're we're about something else. And I think that's shown in what you said, Tom, about the fact that when steve-o starts to work over Billy Robinson's leg, the fans go mad for it, and that's not because it's really exciting action, it's because the babyface is starting to win, and that's mm. why they're going mad for it. So it's again, it's it's, it's difficult because you've got to. I said we are judging it on 2021 standards, but in in a way you really need to look at it in a slightly different way, which is is this eliciting the reaction from the crowd? But I I I, you know, I can to- I totally hear you. I completely understand what you're saying. I thought this was quite good. I did like the really impressive looking neckbreaker. There was the really cool looking backbreaker as well that Billy Robinson did. But you're right. There's this sort of moments of real excitement because they do some in this particular match. Billy Robinson does some really quite high impact moves, but they're just so spread out amongst you know a 12 minute match i think this is just in fact nearly 13 minutes and and therefore there's lots of bits in the middle of it that just that just slow it down massively and, and it's just not quite up to the kind of pace of wrestling from today but i thought actually i didn't mind it i thought it was quite a good match and um i enjoyed what we got here
0: the the problem is i do find it hard to try and watch it in the context it is because i'm so programmed and so used to watching you know the wrestling that i have always done is and i especially i do struggle with production values and i know that it's a it is a house show effectively isn't it So that was probably never meant to be televised, but I I do find that the entire production of everything does play a massive part in it for me. And I do struggle sometimes. Well, every time really watch something where it doesn't look up to the standard I'm used to.
1: I think the production value as well of this is also probably not quite as good as it could have been even at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's probably more to do with the way the tape that this was originally recorded on was stored as opposed to anything else. So that makes it uh, that gives it a kind of a, a layer, if you like, of it's going to be marked down simply because the production value really isn't good, even probably for the time. But as I said, that's
2: probably because of the mm. way the tape was stored. Yeah, apparently 17,000 people there on Christmas Day.
1: That's what Rod Trongard on commentary said. thought I'd just remind you of the name, old man.
2: By the way, I've instantly forgotten it.
1: <laughs> Cage <laughs> Match lists it as, as being approximately 13,000. To be fair, they're all up for it. Everyone in the crowd is bang up
2: for it. They're
0: loving it.
1: So there's no, going to be no sort of in-between match. Angles or interviews or anything like that on this show. We're going straight from match to match. And our second one is Baron von Raschke against Steve Regal. Now, we've seen Baron von Raschke before uh, a couple of weeks ago. This is not, however, Stephen Regal or William Regal. It's someone completely different. Um, and Steve Regal is currently, we are told, the light heavyweight champion. Uh, but this is not for his belt because he's up against the much larger Baron von Raschke. This is a 17 minute contest. And it ends when uh baron wins by submission with the claw hole oh man why don't we start with you this time
2: well steve regal not the steve regal i was hoping for (laughs) just when they said it i was like I was at 84 he would have been about seven and uh mr electricity this steve regal this is though which i like regal is i mean you've said the match is 17 minutes i think there's about four and a half minutes at the start where he's just being a prick just doing all his heel shtick like, going round, having a go at people in the crowd. There's the guy at the front who uh Don says is a regular. And old old Baz von Raskers goes over, lifts his arm. He's like, ah, ah, poses for a little photo. You can see the, the photographer move around the side. Uh The referee is absolutely fucking stacked. His name's Eddie something. And looking at the fucking size of him, he's an Eddie Stobart truck.
1: <laughs> Eddie, Eddie Sharky is his name.
2: No Eddie Stobart, embarrassing.
1: Eddie Sharky was a wrestler himself, so that might, might explain why he's so stout. Not
2: fucking surprised.
0: Was his tag team George?
1: <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> I actually thought that myself whilst watching it. I've got to be perfectly honest with you.
2: Were they crime busters in the CMML? <laughs> anyway, back to the musher hand. Come on everyone, we've 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 got it's a very serious show we're doing here. We need to uh, <laughs> we need to stay on track. So I was impressed with Barry's selling. He is selling all over the shop for old Steven Regal, And the, I mean, the pop for Barry's comeback is a phenomenal noise. There's lots of chin locks there. Probably about, I wrote three too many on my thing. And I think there's about a 74. So I must have been feeling particularly uh, kind at this point. Uh, I did think that a WWE crowd would have been three minutes in going, boring. <laughs> Boring. Boring. And to be honest, it was, really, because it's absolutely fine. But all I could think was, why didn't he just put the claw on earlier and save us all the chin locks? Just so many chin locks. Like, there must be... What do you say? I reckon there's at least eight chin locks in this. And I was a bit like, come on. But then what did I expect? It's Barry Von Raskers and nothing that we've seen of him. is going to make. And when you see him, you're like... It's not going to be a belly flip fest, is it? I was expecting a bit more from Steve Regal, but I appreciate he's got to work within the confines of who he's with. But yeah, not the best. This was quite the step down, I thought, from the first match, to be honest. Without the crowd pop, it would have been borderline unwatchable.
1: You were expecting more from Steve Regal just because of his name. That's, what, that's why you were expecting well, more. <laughs>
2: and he's having as Mr. Electricity.
0: That's true. Like, that is true. <laughs> Tom, what did you make of this match? Um... About three minutes in, I was just sat in my living room going, boring, (laughs) boring. All of my main notes have actually been covered by Old Man. This is what I thought the commentator was called Ron Trogart, which I think is a close enough approximation. Um, And I made some notes about Big Eddie Sharkey being absolutely hunched. I don't think I'm a big Barry Farley's Ron Rusky guy. If I'm being honest, I don't think I don't think he's he's my man. Yeah, I, this is the second match I've seen in reasonably quick session. Again, you could probably make an argument that he's probably quite past his best at this point, but it's not really up for him at all. Again, disappointed when it wasn't Blackpool's own uh, Stephen Regal, and you can tell why this lad ain't a lord because he can't fucking lick it. Lick Stephen Regal's dick, ah, oh, Stephen Regal's. Steve <laughs> Regal can't lick Stephen Regal's dick <laughs> if he would want to. I don't know. <laughs> I'll tell you what there was a great pop for in this match. There's a great pop for all the uh, Barry Von Feinley's Rusk doing a, doing a, an atomic drop, which the crowd went absolutely mental for. They were like, yeah, piles, hemorrhoids, hemorrhoids, piles, let's get piles. You know, so they were giving, giving it the big one. And then the match ends with the most underwhelming move in the history of wrestling, which is the claw. So that was it. I was like, Do you know what? That was that match in a microcosm, finishing with the claw, a really crap move to end it what i thought was quite a crap match
1: i didn't particularly enjoy this either it was quite long and dull and i also thought that given that it's baron von rashke i didn't expect him to go for 17 minutes with a light heavyweight champion um so it just felt a little bit strange didn't yeah it just wasn't for me the best bit about it was um the bit where regal sort of backs off and offers to shake baron von rashke's hand and Baron yeah. von Raschke shakes his hand but squeezes it at the same time. And the guy's all like, ah! And it really mm. reminded me of, it's going back to a previous Christmas, must be, well, it's got to be at least 11 years, possibly 12 years ago, old man. You gave me, for Christmas, DVD, Boys from the Black Stuff DVD. And in that, there is a guy who is called, his character is called Shake Hands, because it's the only words he says. And he goes up to people, goes, Shake Hands. And they shake his hand, and he squeezes their hands so tight that the other people around them are really scared of him. And then he goes up to everybody in the pub and says, Shake Hands. And they're all scared. and But any, anyone who doesn't <laughs> shake his hand, he gets really upset with and beats him up. <laughs> That's what it reminded me of. But I thought, well, seeing as it's, it was a Christmas present, I thought it, it tied in well with the podcast.
2: So I have no memory of buying you that.
1: Well, you did. Yeah, some time ago now. That's good. So, we're on to our third <laughs> match next. Uh, a match between Jumpin' Jim Brunzel and Mr. Saito. The match goes for 20 minutes and ends in a draw. Time limit draw, indeed. Just as Brunzel does a sunset flip, looking like he's about to pin Saito.
2: Oh man, what were your thoughts on this one? Well, this one seems to jump in a good few minutes in. Because they say it's five minutes no, they say it's ten minutes in and I think I was like, hang on, maybe have would really be less than three minutes. Yeah. So this is, this is how we go from what we watch. Jim works the leg, Saito works the arm. Bronsel has his head in Saito's ass for about twenty five to thirty seconds. Like he's eating his Christmas dinner, to be <laughs> honest. It's like un- uncomfortable down
0: this, this bowl I'm eating out of my dinner tastes like ass.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Saito puts on what's described by Rod as an Oriental sleeper. It's just a sleeper. <laughs> you don't need to worry about that. Um, Saito has got, and to be fair, I mean, Jim Brentel's absolute hero. He's very good. His selling is incredible through the whole thing. And Saito, when he, this is the thing, when they lay it in on each other, it is tremendous. But I think there's a About four and a half weeks of figure four leg locks going on during this match. But it's actually really quite good. I think if we'd have had all 20 minutes of it, I would have probably been like how I was watching Mrs. Brown's boys last night, trying to kill myself. But I thought this was all right. But technically, very good, these lads. Saito's offense looks great when he does it. I know, like I said, Albrunzo selling is fantastic. And uh, there's a couple of cracking abdominal stretches. What more do I want? And I really like the finish as well. I like the fact that they're trying to go, go on it after, which they cut off pretty swift. i got to be honest, for a match that we probably watched 17 minutes of, between old oh, jumping Jim Brunzel and a guy I've never heard of,
1: I enjoyed this, I'll be honest. So, Tom, dare I ask?
0: Oh, God, I, find, I genuinely think this might be one of the worst <laughs> wrestling matches I think I've ever watched. I... <laughs> I was so fucking bored watching this match. It is just rest hold after rest. It's like watching Randy Orton have a match with Randy Orton. It was so <laughs> dull. And it, I, I just couldn't have it. I just was watching it and I was, like, I was like, there was one bit where it threatened to pick up a little bit and then straight back into a figure four afterwards. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, this, there's nothing happening. And then there's genuinely is a real change of pace in the last 10 seconds. That's it. <laughs> like, nothing happens in so much. And I, I watched the end of the match. I watched this match, and I thought, "Thank God for sports entertainment." <laughs> <laughs> I was, like, I, was like, I I don't know why anybody would ever watch this match. I thought, I gen, I and I've seen you know bits of jumping Jim Brunzel I'll always have a bit of bit of time for jumping Jim Brunzel because Brian said the killer are the best tag team he ever worked with. So he's yeah. always got he's always got a bit of high regard as old jumping Jim. But I just found this crap. This is, and I
1: quote Rod Trongard, old-style wrestling at its very best.
0: I don't know what what that says about old-style wrestling (laughs) because, my God, it was boring.
1: It's okay, but you're right. I think it was a struggle for me to get through, and I'm I'm quite glad that they cut off the first seemingly seven or eight minutes of this match before we started watching it. This isn't the only part of the show that's cut off, and we'll get to that in just a Mm. bit. The three matches so far, it was the one I least enjoyed, but maybe uh, by this point, it was just because we had gone through three matches. By this point, and they were all long. If yeah. we had watched all of this match, that would be a 17-minute match, uh, a 12-minute, 13-minute match, and a 20-minute match in the first three contests of the night.
2: I put this show on uh, in the middle of the week, just uh, before Santa turned up. If we're going to keep up that pretense, <laughs> I put it on, and uh, I was like, you know, I'm going to watch this. Uh, you know, I, can- I want it, one, in, one in the right headspace. So I was like, you know what, I'll hold off and I'll, I'll be better. And I stopped it and I thought it was two hours, 45 minutes, this show. Oof. And it wasn't until uh, until jolly old St. Smudge, old Tommy, we were chatting. And he said, oh, it's only an hour and 45 minutes. I was like, fuck for that. And I think after that, I was quite positive about it. Because I was like, you know what, I've just gained an hour of my life back. <laughs> Imagine how much tug that I could do it in an hour. Well, an was was Beautiful. Worth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the sand tug clause. So he did it dressed in full Santa (laughs) card. Lovely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He did it up a chimney as well. (laughs) Uh,
2: And then obviously got stuck.
0: Yeah. But luckily, the cum used to act as a lubricant to get back.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Just Just slid down my parents' chimney stack. Just Just covered in... (laughs) Covered in soot and cum. (laughs) (laughs) And the first thing my mum said, she's like, you're just like your dad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Right. <laughs> Let's move on to our fourth match, shall we? It's a match between Kurt Hennig and Nick Bockwinkle, which clocks in at just over 14 minutes. And it ends when Hennig reverses an attempt by Bockwinkle to lock in the figure four and gets the pin with a small package, much to the surprise of Rod Strongard and apparently the audience. Uh, old Man, your thoughts on this one?
2: Oh, Mr. Perfect His is selling. It's fabulous. Because it starts off and old old Bocky Bockwinkle is dominating and throwing some punches. Got a couple of kicks in there. It's good to see some like, punches and kicks. I was pleased with this at the start of this. And Perfect selling all over the shop for him. And then uh, Old Perfect gets in a bit of offense. And then Bockwinkle's selling all over the shop for him. I was like, you know what? We're on for something good here, and Bockwinkle's such a cunt. He plays the hill so bloody well. And it, when I was watching him, I was like, you know what he is? He's a grandmother wrestler. He's the kind of wrestler that you'd be watching it, as I used to back in the day, with me nan. And she'd be like, oh, I don't like that Bockwinkle. And if she was in the crowd, she'd have been whacking him with her handbag. Lovely old job. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm sorry that. And then Bockwinkle puts him to sleep mold, which looks incredible incredible because it's very different it's kind of like on the side and he's proper wrenching it in pulling old Hennig's uh head down as well and then then the figure fours start and now I just want to go sleep to be honest because there's a lot of figure fours <laughs> I think he tries to put it in three times it's the third time he gets rolled up but up to that point I thought this was actually very enjoyable stuff because I think My expectations of Nick Bockwinkle were quite low because I'd imagine, because he was big back in the day, he'd be very old school and slow and plodding. But I thought he was actually pretty good. And he does bring us on to this festive, with no festivity included, Tyron Faxton of the Week. So, in 2007. Nick Bockwinkle was elected president of the Cauliflower Alley Club, which is a club for old wrestlers, which has a benevolent fund for wrestlers that hit hard times. (laughs) hard times! And uh, now president of that, to bring it full circle to the Killer Bees, Bret Hart's favourite tag team ever, is B. Brian Blair. Hashtag Killer Bees. Tyron Faxton of the week. So what was it
0: called the Cauliflower something cauliflower the Cauliflower Alley, alley is extraordinary because one of my notes and I remember saying this about Nick botwinkle one of the old WCW shows we watched was that his hair looks like cauliflower cheese <laughs> yes <laughs> so I wonder if that's why and that's one of my notes in there and speaking mm. of which sorry old man I don't know if you finished talking about the talk about the match but Nick Botwinkle's hair does not change or move <laughs> at all during this match which is extraordinary yeah that's because it's made yeah. of cauliflower. What do you want? Exactly. No, no, one, no one has a little nibble? Delicious cauliflower cheese? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's uncooked.
1: It's uncooked, don't forget. So.
0: Oh, yeah, because it doesn't don't have well, that like nice, nice golden brown crust over the top, does it? So, yeah, you're right, it's mm-hmm. not cooked yet. It's
2: Christmas Day. They'd all eaten. They
0: were all full <laughs> <up. laughs> true. That's true. <laughs> do, you, do you reckon he, like, if he was in a hair versus hair match, he'd just go back to catering and just grab a big fucking blob of cauliflower cheese and put it on his head and no one would notice? <laughs>
2: Or
0: he'd insist on fighting a broccoli. Yeah, in a, in, a, in a hair versus hair match, <laughs> Nick yeah. versus broccoli Lesnar, and they'd have to have a little match. <laughs> also, on Mr. Perfect's hair, it's not bleached, but it's still curly. So whilst he might not have full noodle hair, I think it looks like he's, you know, a like Chow Mein hair. We'll call it. It looks like there's a lot of soy sauce. <laughs> Because <laughs> has gone on the and soy sauce. There is a weird edit in this match, Tinky. Is this what you're talking about? No. So there there is an edit in this match where it kind of stops and starts again, so stuff goes on, and I wondered if yeah. someone got a willy out. I wonder if that was what happened. <laughs> I'm pretty um, sure that's what it was. Yeah, Nick, I'm pretty
2: sure. Nick Cockwinkle. Ah
0: <laughs> oh, yes, Lucky <laughs> stuff. Um, the the pace in this match is the the highest and got the most intensity out of any of the matches so far. And as old man said, Mr. Perfect Selling is amazing, and there there are moments in this match where they beat the shit out of each other. And Mr. Perfect Selling is very dramatic without being really over the top, like it cut like it could be at times. Okay. And I think it's really effective to make Nick Botwinkle look really good. And there's a period in the match where like he, he's getting just punched by Nick Botwinkle, and then he just starts swinging at no one. Very Terry Funk esque. Which I which I which I quite liked. I thought the match went on a bit too long for me, if I'm being honest. Um, like all of the matches, but there's a bit when they I noticed that I think uh, Kurt Hennig uses the Nutcracker as a move, which is when you get someone in the position of a power driver and basically just do a little jump. That had also happened in every match prior yeah. to this as well. Yeah. yeah. This is a move that I'd never seen before. And then I got to this and I was like, buddy, oh, this is fucking overdone, this move. Um, so, to go from like, oh, that's new to bored of it, because to show how many times it was used. And uh, there was a a period, like, again, with the figure four leg locks. And uh, there's a bit where all the old Ron Trangangan, or whatever his name is, on commentary, <laughs> he goes, and now he's putting on the figure four or an Indian leg lock. Call it what you will. <laughs> this is a really strange bit of pronunciation. Did we talk about the end? We have. well, obviously, there's a win with a small package. And then uh, Nick Bogwinkle ain't having it, keeps going back to beat him up. And I'm thinking to myself, it's never going to end, is it? It's just going to keep going forever. I'm stuck in this weird purgatory where I've got to watch, watch AWA wrestling from the same camera angle with the same one man talking <laughs> the entire time for the rest of my life.
1: The ghost of Christmas future, this one. Yeah.
2: a quick note on the figure four so there's a reversal by kurt hennig an old rob train track says apparently if you reverse it it must hurt apparently and he's so so unimpressed by it and i'm like, oh cool that's good then mate you're not really like feeding the magic here are you
1: i think he's trying to suggest that it doesn't reverse it he's saying that it just it does something to the pain which makes it less painful is what he was trying to say. So it's almost like the inbuilt logic of the figure four in AWA is that when somebody turns it over, it doesn't actually reverse the hold, but it just makes it less impactful.
2: I gotta be honest, that does make more sense.
1: It does make
2: I more sense. I can how yeah. it would hurt, but not when they when they do what they do here, which is literally just lie down. When people push up into it, I can get it because it's kind of I can understand how it could be pulling the knee, like stretching the knee. But yeah. You know what? Maybe old Ralph Wiggum is alright on commentary, you know? <laughs> What's going on with his fucking name now? Yeah. <laughs> There's one thing I wanted to quickly add as well. Basically, old Bockwinkles
0: kicking the shit out of Mr. Perfect for ages after the match. It does go on for an awful long time. Some bloke comes down to the ring and tell me. <laughs> You think oh you think I like a bit of a Rene Goulet's hair? This bloke's hair is such a fucking <laughs> special. Like I can't, and again because the camera angle so far, so far away, I can't really tell. But all I can see is a shiny bald head with just a mass mm. of blonde around the sides and back, and it's like puffed. Outwards. This is
2: yeah. phenomenal. What a His guy. It's like Dr. Robotnik from <laughs> Sonic uh, Sonic. Yeah.
1: My thoughts on the match is that it was it was pretty decent. I quite enjoyed this one. The thing that I most appreciated was that this felt like the AWA preparing Kurt Hennig to take a main event space mm-hmm. at some point in the future, because Bockwinkle would be one of the biggest stars in the company. He'd been effectively there, Ric Flair, for a long time, and he'd been kind of Vern Gagne's main uh, opponents when Vrunganya was still wrestling by this point he's obviously retired and so here they're trying to get Kurt Hennig over and I like the way that they did it which was that Kurt Hennig effectively didn't didn't knock him out but just in this instance outsmarted him and so I, I like that kind of i I think this is something wrestling in general should do more which is basically someone wins wins a match but don't necessarily show themselves to be superior to their opponent they just happen to be the better man on that day whereas i think too often wrestling kind of feeds in the idea that and i think it's right that you do this most of the time but but occasionally you want to kind of leave it open to interpretation as to whether if the next time Bockwinkle wouldn't make that mistake or, you know, or whatever. So I quite I quite like that. I thought it was quite a good way to end it. And I also had this vision of all the veterans winning. So obviously we had Billy Robinson win, we had Baron Von Raschke win. And I was uh, was thinking a bit like, oh, Nick Bockwinkle's going to win this? And we're starting to feed very early into that narrative of AWA not being able to build any new stars after Hogan Um, and company left but of course they did they built loads of new stars just wwe kept coming back and stealing all of them away so uh yeah uh, i just i thought that was really cool i was very
0: disappointed that i didn't get to see kevin nash not kevin nash scott hall with his tash because there's some video footage i've seen and i think it actually might be on the, the aforementioned wrestle rock rumble video of uh kevin nash and scott hall getting out of a swimming pool and being greeted by two beautiful ladies, and it's a uh,
1: it's a very uh,
0: very powerful image.
1: Well, that's one for everybody to uh, look at later on this evening when they've got nothing else to do on this Boxing Day night.
0: Do you know what I think? We don't have uh, an interview to go in at halftime, do we? No. So maybe we should play the Wrestle Rock Rumble. It's not a bad
1: shout. I tell you what, let's go to that now. Let's uh, take our break. And we'll come back in just a moment where we'll look at the final two matches of the show, as well as all the other stuff we promised at the top of this one.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we've got the stars of the AWA performing the Wrestle Rock Rumble. We'll be back after this.
3: This is Ken Redick, and I'm here to say we've got the greatest wrestlers in the AWA, but you're not here to listen to me mumble. Let's fill you in on the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Get on! Wrestle Rock, be there with the Midnight Rockers, Sean and Morty. We love to wrestle and we love to party. You don't have to worry, we're not gonna fumble. because we'll, we'll be shaking shakin through the Wrestle Rock, rock rumble. Out! Wrestle Rock. <laughs> I'm the Sheik and that's not funny. I got my army a lot of money. If Ghani in my way, I make him come, both. He be sorry, I did the Wrestle Rock rumble. Wrestle Rock, be there. I'm Jerry Blackwell, I want the see. I want to get my hands on that pencil-neck geek as I watch the EDF Bumble. I'm gonna make my splash in the Wrestle Rock Rumble. The AWA, you, me, and Wrestle Rock. I'm Greg Gagne, and I'm in a race. I want Brody and I want him in a cage. A high-flying dropkick will make him see double. I grind him up at the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Woo! Wrestle Rock. I'm Kurt Hennig and Big Scott Hall. As tag team champs, we'll take on them all. So bring on the long riders, those dirt ball Dumbos. We'll smear those butchers. Do the wrestler Rock, Rock Rumble. Uh. And I've got a passion. I'll get the title back from the humanoid Hanson. I've got the brains and I'm not humble. I'll take the belt back and do the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Wrestle Rock, Boltonia, at the Dome. Wrestle Rock, 86, Be There. I won't be through till I get done slapping around Scott and the two. Gonna beat the ugly bartender into a bundle and laugh all the way doing Wrestle Rock Rumble. Ow! This game, dark got a mouth that won't quit, but I'm Scott the do wanna smack a little shit. And when I'm through, you won't be able to mumble. I'll be left alone doing the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Yeah! one last word from the former Champ Burn, but give it a lot of thought to one more turn. There's some old scores that still give me trouble, and I'm starting to get the urge to do the Wrestle Rock Rumble. So there you have it, and now you know. and on April 20th it's at the Dome, so get your ticket to be under the bubble because you two can be doing the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Do it! Wrestle uh! Rock Rumble.
0: And that was the superstars of the AWA with the Wrestle Rock Rumble. And now back to Ben Spinder and the guys for the rest of the Random Wrestling Review Rock Podcast. Rumble. Oh yeah. So welcome back to the show. And
1: before we get back into AWA Christmas Night 984 again, I wanted to pause to thank everybody for a brilliant 2021. Firstly, some of our big supporters started with Rockstar Kirky, who still remains unsatisfied in his mission to find out what old man looks like.
2: He got a pay me for that.
1: Um, also Chris Walkden for all the kind words he's given us, Navdeep Rahil for the interesting facts that he provides us each and every week, Daniel The Manual who has probably my favourite Twitter name of all time Anthony Davis who appears to have made it his life's ambition to guess what our next episode will be each week also to Ben Emerson, Patrick Dam Harris Colin Middleton and Jed Underground who have all been great to engage with online and have supported us through the year and also Rory McNamara from the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast who equally has been a great supporter of us from the get-go. I can't name all of our listeners individually obviously as we wouldn't have the time but suffice it to say we've absolutely loved having each and every one of you listen to us even if you came listened for five minutes and turned off fairly assuming we didn't have a clue what we were talking about and finally i'd like to thank our guests that joined us this year james Trupenny, matthew roberts and stephen from mid south moments who were all brilliant to speak to and often stepped in with very little notice
2: the fact that people sit down or maybe stand up depending on where they are and listen to us each week it's quite humbling really so thank you very much you bunch of cunts <laughs>
0: I mean it's more a sad indictment on the quality of other wrestling podcasts that are out there well, yeah. people will listen to us talk but we're yeah. grateful, grateful nevertheless
1: yeah we're doing a service what we are doing is highlighting how shit the podcasting world is that anybody would listen to us Yeah. Exactly. We've, we've justified our existence there
0: boys well exactly. done also, we, we watch the shit wrestling so you don't have to <laughs>
2: another fucking truth the last month and a half
1: <laughs> so we come to match five of the card it is king kong brody or bruiser brody and the mass superstar against greg Ganya and jerry blackwell this one clocks in at just under 11 minutes and it ends when crusher blackwell hits a power slam but the ref, the ref is not able to count because he was knocked over just previous to this um brody then hits blackwell with blackwell with something and gets the cover for the victory. After the match, Sheik Abnan al um jumps in, and he attacks uh, Ganya and Blackwell along with the two heels, but Jim Brunzel runs in to make the save. Old oh Man, what were your thoughts on this one?
2: I'd hit the point that I think Tom's been at since the start of this, where I was a little bit like, oh, it's a bit boring now, to be honest. kind of bored of this angle. Basically, I've not had the chance to, like Tommy said, he was like, imagine that you're there. I don't have a chance to go for a piss, stretch my legs, go and grab another beer, and then come back. So my notes on this match consist of not great until the carnage and the post-match stuff. Go on Jim's pants, in reference to Jim Brunzel. And a note on the incredible ref bump from Jim Mitchell, I think it is, who I'm assuming is Grant Mitchell's dad. <laughs> and Phil Mitchell. I'm assuming they've got the same dad. That would like, genuinely jerry blackwell goes into him and it would have killed me like genuinely would have killed me but uh, not not great this to be honest i didn't particularly enjoy this but i did have a question for you boys actually which i forgot to ask earlier anybody know who the masked wrestler is because i couldn't find out anywhere
1: i do do you know tom the masked wrestler the masked superstar who's the tag team partner bruiser
2: Superstar. yes what It's um, Axe, isn't it? It's Axe from Demolition, that's right. Yes, I did find him, but they referred to him as the Masked Wrestler and the Masked Superstar. And I was like, well, I I can't keep up, Roddy Doyle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Masked Superstar is Axe, which is going to ruin my next bit, which was going to be, oh, you know about him, don't you, the Masked Superstar, and I would have told you. But you ruined it, so it's
0: over. Um, <laughs>
2: I, I think you just pretend that I didn't, and then me and Tom can go.
0: Ooh, <laughs> I'm flagging, boys. I really am at this point. And uh, there's this is point where I, I realised that uh, King Kong Brody is in fact Bruiser Brody, because I was like, that guy looks a lot like Bruiser Brody. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> the penny dropped. Um, I am. I'm sat there. I'm thinking, bloody hell. All right. And then something chilling happens. And I was like, oh god! And that's when the ring announcer says, "This is a 60-minute time limit." And, <laughs> I, and I, at this point, I'm, I know that there isn't an hour left on the on the on the on the card because I've been looking at, I've been checking it every <laughs> frantically every 10 minutes to see how much longer I had left to watch of it. But I was like, oh god, what's going to happen here? This match is a lot much more of just a brawl basically, other than the map-based stuff from earlier, and that in itself was a bit of a nice change. But it wasn't it wasn't particularly great. But this is what I find really weird about this: the arena is so dark. There's a bit where Greg Gagne has the mass superstar in the corner, and he stood above him, presumably punching him. But you genuinely can't see anything he's doing. It's, he's completely <laughs> engulfed in darkness, and the match is so dark that there's like some action goes on inside the ring and because you've only got the one stationary camera angle you've got no idea what's going on you just can't see it and that was at the point where I realised that I should probably have watched this as if I was in the crowd but as I said earlier it was a bit too late the ref bump is is tremendous which is absolutely amazing but what I quite liked what I found quite amusing about the entire thing and, the, and I'm glad you didn't mention this uh, Tinky is that uh, obviously the manager on the outside who I assumed was a Sheik of some kind um, when he gives Brody the uh, whatever it is, the the, the thing to hit, uh, hit whoever the fuck it is he hits with and knocks him down. <laughs> Jerry Blackwell. <laughs> Jerry when, Blackwell. When he hits Thingy, whatever the fuck his name is. Yeah, cool. it's the cunt with the thing. Um, he um. <laughs> He's so incensed that he fucking plants the nut plants a nut on the ref after the match. Which <laughs> <laughs> you didn't often see. You don't often see referees getting headbutted by wrestlers because of a bad bit of decision making. Because that would happen all the time. Imagine that it'd be a fucking epidemic of wrestlers headbutting referees all the time. I was like, I was like, go on, fucking Jerry Bakewell Tart. <laughs> fucking plant the fucking nut on. Um, but the, the other thing that I liked. Um, like I like I said before we'd, start, before we'd started recording, Jim Brunzel, when he comes down to make the saves, shows far more intensity and enthusiasm than he did in his actual match, which I think if I was the promoter, I'd feel a bit shortchanged by that.
1: Yeah, this was all right, wasn't it? I think it was a bit, it came across as a little bit as if it didn't really mean much. That's how I, I kind of took to it. I will say one thing, though. In the middle of this match, Crusher Blackwell does a lovely little drop kick, and Crusher Blackwell's a big old guy. But, yeah, other than that, it wasn't super exciting. The crowd liked it, though. They enjoyed the, the chaos of it all. And, um, yeah, I, I, not too many complaints, but not it wasn't particularly memorable.
2: This was uh, a time when Jim Brunzel come down in his incredible pants that I figured out that that's why the Killer Bees were called the Killer Bees, because it's B, Brian Blair, and Jim Brunzel. The
0: penny drops. You learn something new every day, don't you? In terms of um, dropkicks, though, there is an absolutely dreadful one that Greg Ganyard does on, on Bruiser Brody, to which <laughs> Bruiser Brody sells the wrong way. So he drop kicks him and then he takes a couple of steps forward and falls flat on his face. The do uh, You know about Sheik Adnan al Katie,
1: don't you? Yeah. Um, he is General Adnan, uh, Sergeant Slaughter's uh, manager in
2: 1991. A little question, lads. So this before we get into the main event, do you reckon these guys are tanked up when they're doing this?
1: I don't. I don't know. I wonder if they've eaten though, like a proper Christmas dinner. <laughs> yeah,
2: because I thought they're going to be on the road, away from their family. It must have been a pretty tough, tough day for them. And I just thought none of it really shows until this tag match, is where I think you know what they might have had a little. They might have had a little bit of the old beer. But yeah, I think I would have been, to be honest.
0: I, it does make a lot of sense, actually. Think back the, uh the match that I uh, stated earlier was basically unwatchable, the Jim Brunzel versus Mr. Saito. If someone said to me, OK, I'm going to fucking come off the top rope, give you a good old splash right across the midsection, or we can lay on the floor and I'll hold your head. Let's do that instead, yeah. mate. That'll <laughs> do much better for me indigestion. <laughs>
1: Okay, well we need to finish this. Uh, we need to finish this card. But before we finish the card, there's actually this is what I was talking about with regards to yes. the full show not being involved because there's actually another match that isn't on the video that's on the network it's for the there awa is. world tag team titles and it's the road warriors against the fabulous ones the fabulous ones are stan lane and steve kieran steve stan lane was obviously one of the midnight express as well later in his career we don't see it it goes to a no contest it only last seven minutes so i don't imagine it was incredibly impressive but yeah just worth noting that that match also did happen on the night but it isn't included in the network version
2: do you know what could have done with the seven minute match I think I think a little seven minute blowout would have been quite nice in this card before mm. this uh, absolute ripper of a main event.
1: Would it have been better though between some of the earlier matches? Maybe between the Baron von Raschke, mm-hmm. Steve Rigor Jim Brunson is to say too because they were both the longest two matches of the night.
0: I I didn't want an extra seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> It still would
1: have clocked in under two hours as a show, even if that had been in it.
0: <laughs> I know, but I tell you what, like honestly, it didn't feel like it. It genuinely didn't. And when, like what old man said, when um he said that he realised that it wasn't two two and a quarter hours, it was only one and a quarter, uh, one of three quarter hours, that uh, he felt like he gained an hour back. When I realised I'd lost the match, I was like, get in.
1: The main event then. It's the AWA World Heavyweight title match. It sees Rick Martel defending the belt against Jimmy Garvin. In a 17 minute match, which ends by disqualification. Now, this has a little bit of a, I guess you could say, a dusty finish really to it. So, effectively, Garvin hits Martel with a foreign object as Martel goes for a backdrop. He then pins Martel. But after the referee has kind of called for the bell, Wally Carbo, who is the ring that sorry, the matchmaker for AWA, gets in the ring. He grabs the foreign object out of the hands of Garvin and then reverses the decision, disqualifying Jimmy Garvin. And so Rick Martel retains his title.
0: First of all, Jimmy Garvin is having a little dance in the ring when it cuts back to the ring. He's having a lovely little dance in the ring, wearing some absolutely fabulous red spangly dungarees. Which were absolutely amazing, and that really, that really caught my eye. I'm not gonna lie, I was like, "Hello, here we go." <laughs> and we obviously we saw Young James Garvin at the, uh, at the Starcade, and we put in a, a pretty decent showing in that as well against Sam Houston. No, what is Sam Houston? Some some cunt. And they they had a good match, and I remember at the time thinking, you know, I think Jimmy Garvin might be a bit of a fucking lad, and it's confirmed in this. I must admit, Rick Martel as a baby face, as a single baby face, it's much more interesting in this match than he was as part of Force in in the, <laughs> in the uh, Saturday's main event that we watched the other week. But this match, kind of, I'll be honest, I was flagging at this point. I can't remember much of it. The biggest thing that really stuck out to me is that Rip Martel gets thrown over the top rope with the referee's turned, and it seems to take an absolute eternity to get back in the ring. When he does get back in the ring, this inexplicably does about four or five forward rolls around the ring yeah, for no yes. considerable reason. And then what happened with the ending is that, yeah, as you say, Garland wins the match after hitting my and on the head with a fire object. And then some bloke called Wally comes down to dispute the result. The decision was overturned and Ricky's still the champ. Why couldn't they do this in the previous match? Then the referee wouldn't have been headbutted, would he? he? could have just done that. Poor ref. He's fucking, he's probably got some kind of brain disease now because of that fucking big, what's his name? Cherry Bakewell bloke giving him a butt <laughs> you know, it's just it's just harsh it's gonna have all been reversed had that wally got his finger out of his ass earlier and got down there on the previous match oh man
2: well in fairness we established that jim mitchell is filling grant mitchell's dad yeah so his head's gonna be pretty bloody hard, i reckon because they're double-eyed bastards so and he has only been headbutted
1: match. by a terry bakewell in fairness <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs>
2: Yes, yeah, so there's just some like some pastry crust and some icing and some glassy cherry on his head. Poor little fucker. Either that or he was bleeding. So, Rick Martell or Royd Martell, because he is a big old sturdy unit in this mm-hmm. match. I uh, went onto a website Just to see who was in the main event. That was literally all I wanted to know. I was like, I wonder who's fighting for the title at this point. And I saw Red Taylor and I genuinely wouldn't have recognised him if I didn't know that. I remember Jimmy Garvin, not Ronnie Garvin, as I always want to call him. We watched a match of his where he did a lot of bars, And there was a lot of that at the start of this. And I was a bit like, oh, for fuck's sake, this is going to be absolutely awful. And there is a lot of hugging. They do a lot of hugging. They're like best friends, these guys. But it makes the... uh, Makes when they hit some impact moves, it makes them mean a little bit. So it's not tremendously exciting, this match. But if this was standalone, I think I would have really, really enjoyed it. But after the rest of the show, it just felt a bit flat until, and Tommy's mentioned it, until Rick Martel starts forward rolling around the <laughs> ring. And I was like, fucking have this. And then, yeah, and then there's the dirty little finish. And then it was done. Just like Christmas, all done. It does tend to go way too quick,
1: doesn't it? After all the
2: preparation. Yeah, it does. No, Christmas.
1: (laughs) And Boxing Day is the worst as well, because you're just like, oh, it's all done and there's nothing else to do. And was just double shit on Boxing Day.
3: That's
2: why it's perfect for releasing this show at 5pm. So they will have watched Bristol City absolutely (laughs) smash in those bloody Luton twats through some completely legal means. And then they get to listen to us. Lovely old job. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Take your word for it. I, I don't know what the odds are of that actually happening on man, but there we go. Yeah.
2: I, I thought this
1: was all right. This was a decent match. You're right about Rick Martell. He definitely has more muscle mass mm-hmm. here. He's definitely mm-hmm. bigger. Yes. I don't know what, what that's about. There's a good deep arm drag by Martell at one point. After a little quick fire exchange between them, um, we see some a decent back suplex at one point. We've got, yeah, some good moves here and there. Jimmy Garvin is obviously really charismatic kind of wrestlers, mm-hmm. obviously one half of the Freebirds, or one third of the Freebirds, I suppose you could, could argue. And uh, yes, it's just a gen- gen- generally good match, except for the finish, which I didn't like. I hate finishes like mm-hmm. this. And I just thought also it made Rick Martel look really weak. Here's your world champion. He's the babyface world champion as well. And he requires a do-over, effectively, Mm -hmm. someone else to come in and save his title for him. It's not like even they had the match restart for a couple of minutes and Rick Martel then beat him, although I'm sure Tom would have hated that if it had restarted. But (laughs) the point is, is that could have made him look a little bit stronger here, I thought, given that they talk about the fact that Martel beat Jumbo Schroeter, I think his name is, for the AW title in Japan after Schroeter beat um, Nick Bockwinkle for it. Trongard explains that during the match and you're kind of like, well, if he won the title in in Japan, probably needs to get some big victories in front of the home crowd Mm -hmm. and he didn't get it here. So I just thought it was a a quite inconclusive and a little bit unsatisfactory finish to a match that was quite decent, but um, ultimately, as you said, It was very difficult by this point. We'd watched a lot and it was all matches. This is an hour and 45 minutes, pretty much, of wrestling. And the the overall quality of the wrestling, not the quality of the wrestling, but the overall quality of the production is pretty low. So it is difficult to, to get yourself all the way through it.
2: There's a cracking match in here, and I think between them, these two lads could have had an absolute ripper. But it's, it's probably probably six or seven years too early for them to actually tear the house down.
0: It's about finding that balance, isn't it, when putting together a wrestling show. I mean, the fact is, is that we, we've we done many a Saturday Night's Main Event before now, I believe. Is that right, Tinky? Where yeah. It's too many promos. It's just constant all the time and not enough matches and this is a complete opposite this is no there's no reason to particularly care about the matches if you're if you're coming into this new because there is no there is no discernible consequence if you're watching this as a standalone event which we are so it go, goes to show the, the right balance there needs to be that balance of of promos and and of wrestling
1: yeah i th- I think you can get away with this much wrestling and and no promos if there's if it's like a tournament like a one night tournament where the context is inbuilt, to the matches but that you're right we're lacking a context for the matches so you're watching it on stand alone you don't know why these people dislike each other you don't know why they're fighting one another and so it it just requires it would be it would be helpful if there was stuff in between of course that's not that was never the nature of the shows back then it was never the nature of the point of this show and again it goes back to remembering that probably when they made this show they weren't expecting people to watch it one year later let alone this Longer time afterwards.
2: It's also something that old Rob Gronkowski on commentary tries to get across, <laughs> where he's like, because he does it with the matches where there are genuine feuds. He does it. So in the tag match, Greg Garnier and Brody have got a heck of a feud by all because apparently Brody like did his arm in or something. And also Greg Gunny doesn't actually get on with old Cherry Bakewell. So it's kind of like, he kind of does what he can do, this guy. I big shout out to old Beef Rub, because he does a good job on commentary, I think. Given that it's one voice through the whole show, he does all right, I think.
1: Beef Rub, is that where we are now with this
0: guy?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I'd had to say his name twice in the, like a minute. I can not think of anything else, mate. <laughs> the ron troglodyte is his name ron troglodyte
1: so what was our overall thoughts of the show our master night our mvp and our rating out of 10 let's start with you tom because i know this is going to be a high scoring one
0: it's going to be absolutely through the roof um so but actually my final note after the main event was it's over thank fuck for that was my my actual thing um i'm giving this a two out of ten the only thing that is preventing it from being a one is the fact that i'm seeing things i haven't seen before and that does do something for me. If this was, if this exact card happened in 2011 with the WWE roster, I would have despised it. So at least I haven't. So that's why it's got that two rather than a one. Um, my MVP is Jimmy Garvin's seamstress. for getting that lovely, uh, <laughs> that lovely you know, red dungaree on him. And my match of the night is actually the tag match. Uh, Brody and masked uh, lad versus old Jerry Bakewell Anna and Greg Gagne. Um, simply for the fact that there was quite a distinguishable change of pace um, in the match compared to a lot of the other ones and the fact that the old Jerry Cherry Bakewell fucking planted the nut on the ref at the end which I thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed because the crowd really popped for it and i got to say um, despite the fact that I thought this show was, was really bad and I will never watch it again I was extremely let down by the lack of Christmas in it fair play to the crowd because they are into the entire thing so well done well done crowd
2: this was really tough actually to go through and rate it because I didn't hate it so I didn't know how to rate it my MVP is Jim Brunzell's pants for being <laughs> absolutely fantastic, absolutely brilliant, and Jim Brunzell also in my match of the night, him and Saito. I think because we lost the first seven minutes or so, I do think if it was a full twenty, it would have been right at the bottom of the pile. But I enjoyed what they did, and I'm like I'm like the Bret Hart of this podcast, if anything, because I've got a uh, got a soft spot for the old Killer Bees. The rating for the show. I'm going to give this a five because it's not great. But it's also not bad either. Like, it's just not what I would watch. I won't watch it again. Absolutely no chance. But I didn't sit here and go, oh, this is awful. I just thought it was... Okay, and then it's done. If I'd gone to watch it on Christmas Day with my family, with a couple of beers down me, oh, I'd have had a lovely old time. But I didn't. I was sat on me and it in.
1: I think everyone would have had a lovely time because the crowd are hot right the way through it. They really, Mm. really love it. And from that perspective, it deserves some credit. But we are judging it by modern eyes, and that's really the only way we can judge it, in all fairness, to other shows as well. And for that reason, I'm giving it a 4 out of 10. I thought there were a couple of matches that I quite enjoyed the Bockwick or Hennig match, the main event, and also the opener, which is my match of the night, Billy Robinson against Steve-O, I thought was the was the best match of the night. I really quite enjoyed that one. And for that reason as well, Billy Robinson is my um, MVP because I just, first of all, I thought we're never going to see him again. Well, we probably won't see him again. Um, and also, I just thought he was very good. I really enjoyed the as you said oh man the net breaker they did as well as the back breaker they did they were both very very impactful i thought and they got me kind of enthusiastic for the show and then never really <laughs> met those <laughs> e- expectations again but for that purpose he's my mvp it's a difficult one we we're, we're talking about a show that happened a long long time ago from a promotion we've never watched anything Four before it's also a promotion that isn't well documented, as I've said before, by the WWE who own effectively wrestling history. The amount of footage of AWA on the network pales in comparison to the Jim Crockett stuff, to Mid South, to World Class, and obviously to ECW and WCW. It's, it's so much less, but it was genuinely the biggest promotion in the usa or at least arguably the biggest promotion in the usa for a number of years in the late 70s and early 80s the export if you like of hogan mean gene oakland and bobby heenan with three of the biggest signings wwe ever made possibly the biggest three signings they ever made in terms of changing the business. We've watched Saturday night's main event a lot recently, and it's made me realize just how central those three and maybe one or two others are to that presentation on a Saturday night's main event. It's not just, I would say that Gene Oakland and Bobby Heenan are as big as any wrestler other than Hogan in the entire company in terms of why people are watching and, and who's making that show the entertainment extravaganza that it is mm. you know and and they got all of those guys from the awa and they would continue to get talent from the awa including obviously kurt hennegu would go on to be their world champion and rick Martel, who is their world champion at mm. this time so it was it's worthwhile us looking at it but again it's difficult because we've never seen them before and and the wwe just don't tell that story well enough And i wonder if it is because they just effectively t- took all, all of their talent and um them in their promotion so we have come to the end of another show the final show of 2021 we've still got the game to come but before we do that i will run down the bottom 10 shows as per average rating and the top 10 shows per average rating so we have uh, a new well joint new worst show of all time um Which I'll get to in just a moment. Let's, let me run down these bottom 10. So first of all, in 41st place, we have Survivor Series 1994, and that is the same rating, a 3.66 score as the 42nd place show, which is Saturday Night's Main Event 14, which we covered last week. We then have got 43rd place, another Saturday Night's Main Event, the first episode of Saturday Night's Main Event, which is 3.33, and Judgment Day 2007 has the same score as well that's 44th 45th is wcw slamboree and wcw bash of the beach 95 and WW fast lane all with 2.67 48th is wcw sold out 1997 with an average rating of two but our joint worst shares of all time we've watched them in the last four or five weeks it's armageddon 1999 and survivor series 2010 both with 1.67 rating that's from from a potential
0: 30 That's fucking
1: rough. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's a potential ten of kicks. That's the average. That's the average. So then the top ten we've got WWE Saturday Night's Main Event fifteen. Along with well, there's actually there's actually four show five shows on six point six seven. So we've got No Mercy two thousand six, No Way Out two thousand, Armageddon two thousand eight. Saturday Night's Main Event 15 from March 1988 and WWE Spring Stampede 1994 all have 6.67 ratings. In eighth place, you have NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 7.33, as does the Royal Rumble 1992. Then in sixth, and in fact joint fifth, is WWE SummerSlam 97 and AEW All Out 2021. And then we have four different events, all on 8.33, which are NXT TakeOver Chicago 2, Wrestlemania's 19 and 30 and ECW One Night Stand 2005 that top
2: the table yes lovely
1: that pretty much wraps us up except for the game so old man what have you got
2: right then, lads boxing day so I wanted to get a little bit of the old fisticuffs going on so we're going back to 1998 and the brawl for all so there's 16 in total. We're looking for the 16 participants in the Brawl for All, oh, which God. ran from June 29th, 1998 to August 24th, 1998. Oh God! So, <laughs> so this is tough because mm. I've seen the list of people and it's very tough. So I know there's only 16, but I'm going to give three lives to each of you. I do fear that it could be done in about three goes if we don't give lives. And we and we, we need to drag it out for the listeners, because they're just sapping on their third Baileys of the Boxing Day night at this point. We need to get them to the end of it.
1: Okie dokie. Fair enough.
2: You ready, lads? As I'll ever be. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding! Let's go Tommy first, because he looks like he's in absolute agony. Uh, <laughs> Bartholomew Gunn. Bartholomew Gunn. Otherwise known. As one of the worst workers in history, correct? Steve Williams. Steve Williams, Doctor Death, pardon, Doctor Death, Steve Williams, correct. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> didn't
0: they? Didn't they um uh, put
2: um him
0: in there as like it was his like, kind of debut was in there, and he just got like sparked out and lost all credibility. Or something
1: like that. They were expecting him to win, and then he didn't um, because yeah. Batgirl beat him. Uh, right. So uh, Bradshaw.
2: J. Bradshaw. Correct.
1: Um, Bob Holly. Batgirl oh, Holly. Fucking
2: fuckface. Bob Holly. Correct. Lost in the first round to eventual winner Bartholomew Gunnell.
0: We're not including the Butterbean match at WrestleMania, presumably. No.
2: <laughs>
0: That's amazing. <laughs> it's sparked <laughs> out in seconds. Um, I, oh, I'm completely guessing now. I think people, uh, Phineas or Midian, Phineas I Godwin or Midian, or
1: um, oh, I can't remember his actual no. other name. So that's a life lost for Tom, yeah. Yeah,
2: that's a life lost for Tom.
1: Okay. Kama Mustafa. or Godfather. That's a life
2: lost for oh. Tinky. I thought he was in it.
0: Oh
2: wow. Um, I'm gonna go with chains. Hang on, hang on. Let me just check something. No. Okay. Bracchus. Bracus. Correct. Whatever <laughs> yes. no, the fuck that is.
0: Uh Mark Merrow?
2: Mark Merrow, correct! Now yes. we're fucking cooking with gas boys.
1: Okay, so I know you just said that Phineas wasn't in it, but what about Mark Canterbury, Henry Godwin?
2: C- correct.
0: Ooh. So his brother was in it. Yes. It's funny, innit? Because like, you 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 what you got to do in this one is you got to think of wrestlers who are shit but think they can handle themselves. Um, <laughs> what I reckon in that ilk would be I'm going to go with oh fuck man I can't remember his name now. Hang on, just give, give me two seconds. Give me two seconds. Shut up and let me think.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this is your last life.
0: Yeah, I know. Do you know what? I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get um Thrasher. From the headbangers.
2: No. Okay. Unfortunately not, Tommy. Come on, Tinky, let's be having them.
0: So
1: just to just to make sure I win the game, draws.
2: Correct. Darren draws draws dove. Uh
1: and then the other ones I've got that I think might be in it. So Pierre of the Quebecers.
2: Correct.
1: Steve Blackman. Of
2: course he was. What was the most dangerous man? Oh,
0: do you know what? I assumed. St- do you know what? I didn't write Steve Batman in there because I thought that they'd be like protecting him or trying to protect his character as like a legitimate martial artist, even though he wasn't. Um, They weren't interested in protecting anyone
1: in that fucking tournament, I'm telling yeah. you now. And then I've got Tiger Ali Singh. No. And then finally, I've got Hawk. Yes, Hawk was in it. Yeah, I do not know. I didn't know why that came from, but I had it somewhere. So, yeah. Who else we got, then?
2: So, we've got. Uh, Savio Vega, uh, uh the godfather. Oh, bollocks, sorry, I'm um, <laughs> you won anyway, Tinky, but yeah, Karma. So, the godfather's in there, right? Uh, eight four, so Tommy was so close with chains, <laughs> two cold Scorpio, and Dan Seven, uh. who beat the godfather and then retired well, withdrew from it, so he had nothing to prove.
1: I was going to say, how did they think that Steve Williams would win that tournament when Dan Severin was also in it? I mean, obviously Bart Gunn in the end won it, but how did they imagine Mm -hmm. Steve Williams would beat Dan Severin? That's crazy. Yeah,
2: I know. Mad, isn't it? So Bart Gunn beat Bob Holly, Steve Williams, The Godfather and Bradshaw. Yeah. Oh, an absolute stud.
1: Beating up Bradshaw, legit, is probably the best legacy he's ever going to have. Yeah. What a legend. What a legend. So that just about wraps us up here on the Random Wrestling Review for 2021. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed today's episode and uh, we hope you've enjoyed all of our episodes, hopefully. Um, We have had, uh, I thought I'd let you know, 377 matches we've covered on the podcast this year from 484 different wrestlers. In that time, have taken place, have taken part, I should say. Um, and the top wrestler of the year, who have we seen more than anybody else? What's your, uh, what's your money on?
2: Oh, gotta be Hogan now, I
1: reckon. Tom, your uh,
0: guess? Um, it's hard to argue against Hogan. I'd be tempted to see Jericho.
1: Jericho is correct. Fifteen matches Ooh. we've seen Jericho in, compared to Hogan's fourteen, The Undertaker's thirteen, and Big Show's twelve.
0: Do you know what? It does not feel like I've watched that many Undertaker matches. Although, that being said, that being said, you guys, uh, I think you covered him at SummerSlam 97. And I think you may have covered him on a couple of shows that I wasn't on as well. So that might be why.
1: Probably. Probably the case. (laughs) On that note, we will bring the show to a close. We will be taking a break uh, after this episode. Not for too long, but we will be taking a little break. We want to get in a bit of a Christmas uh, you know, rest for us all and come back refreshed. Um, so all that's left for me to do is to thank you, old man, for joining me today.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you to everyone for listening this year. We'll see you all on the 9th of January. Try to remember that. But if you can, just make sure that you remember Ken Patera.
1: And also, Tom, thank you for your contributions as well.
0: Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here for this year in wrestling. And uh, would you like me to do uh, the old 12 wrestlers of Christmas again? Why not? Why yeah. not? Uh, 12, Stone Cold Stunning, 11, Roddy's piping, 10, Lanny's leaping, 9, Ricky, she's dancing, 8, Angle's milking, 7, Doysa grinning, 6, New Daying, 5, Gold Stings, 4, Jim Hurts, 3, Reaper Men, 2, Brother Loves and a Judy Bagwell on a pole batch. Merry Christmas, everyone.
1: This has been the Random Wrestling Review. We'll be back again in the new year. But until then, take care. All your scoundrels, all your villains. Shock moves
3: fast and is not giddy. Gangsters, hoodlums, thugs and robbers. George gets there and crime gets clobbered. club. and George, the crime of the sea. Sharpie. your teeth or your crooks. George is expert with macro hooks. Mooks for capers in the sea. Sharpie makes sure they don't go free. Sharpie and George, the crime of the sea. Sharpie